You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. Well, everybody, this is Corey Minton from the Big Data Beard team, and I am excited because I am in my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, which is a beautiful sunny day, as you can tell. And I'm excited because I met a really interesting person and company a couple weeks ago at uh, the Data Science Salon in Austin. And Matt from QuantHub is here to join us, as well as Nathan. Matt, why don't you do a little uh, introduction to who you are? Yeah, thanks, Corey. I am the interesting person that, that he was talking about there. Um, my name is Matt Cowell. I'm the CEO at QuantHub. And uh, I'm a chemist and chemical engineer by trade, but um, somehow found my way into the um, software engineering um, space as a, in product development and also product management, and did that for a long time at um, different SaaS companies, and then came to QuantHub about a year ago um, to start running it as an offshoot of, a, of another company. And so I've been here for about, about a year and I'm loving the big data, data science space. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, Nathan, we, uh, surprisingly, we actually, our families know each other and we're just now sure. getting to meet each other for the first <laughs> time. But Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm the chief data scientist at QuantHub. I uh, got into the data science field through uh, marketing, doing some predictive modeling for in, in the academia space. Um, and then have been doing data science consulting for the past five years with QuantHub's parent company, StrategyWise. Very cool. So the job title of data scientist is one of those that's uh, used massively, understood very little, <laughs> I think. And it carries a ton of like misconceptions and the, like the number of skills or the skills that actually qualify somebody as a data science, I think are constantly in question. But I'm curious from you guys, like what is your... Like, what's your running definition of a data scientist? Sure. So, um, but I guess I'll take this yeah, one. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it, you know, you always see the that Venn diagram of the, the for the business uh, business skills or domain skills, your math skills, yeah. and IT. The Conway model. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so, uh, you know. I feel like a lot of the ambiguity around the definition comes from that those are not discrete, that those it's it's a very uh, continuous or a gradient uh, between all all three of those, and so some people tend to define it more or less towards one of those three areas, but um, it it really just depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Okay, so it feels like they're you know they're really. While it is a moving target, it feels like, or it depends mm. on the project, it's like a gradient. But what do you think, like, why is it so hard for so, like, for so many organizations to actually find good data scientists? Yeah, I think the part of the problem with the definition, as Nathan was talking about, is that you don't typically find people with these skills you know, this is a very cross-functional Venn diagram that we're talking about here. And you don't tend to find people with, with those skill sets all in one person. So someone with business skills, someone that's very strong at the math and science part, mm -hmm. and then someone that's strong at IT, I just, I just don't run into many of those people. And so I, I think it's a little bit, um, we're sort of creating our own problem. Um, there are a lot of good posts out there and a lot of good thinking out there around segmenting these roles a little bit more effectively to where, and, in, and this actually is the case in other fields like software development, where we have product managers that are more focused on the business side. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that there's 
pretty significant expertise and a skill set really in understanding the business strategy and actually pursuing a business strategy. And there are skill sets and people that are very strong at programming and IT things. And there are scientific skill sets. And these are typically different types of people, whereas in this field, we're trying to actually merge that all into one. And in doing so, we're creating you know, a pretty massive problem where we can't, can't find these people yet. We keep trying because, yeah. <laughs> because that's going to work. <laughs> right. So there's, there's people out there that say they're data scientists and by some definitions that may not be wholly accurate, but maybe the definition is the problem more than anything else. Right. But the, these are sought after resources. I Absolutely. mean, the idea that, sure. you know, we want to, you know, sought after meaning follow the economics, they're expensive, right? Cause the supply and demand, the problem is it's a unique skill set that's that's very important to business. So how is QuantHub helping organizations to actually find out if they've actually got a data scientist that's appropriate for their project? Yeah, I'll take this one too. Maybe what we, what we found is that companies, you know, before solutions like QuantHub were around, what companies are doing is they're all manually doing tech assessments. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're, they're getting candidates come in the door and they're getting a lot of candidates because the job is very popular. It's very high paying. So they're getting a ton of candidates and they're manually doing tech screening and tech assessments to try to determine who's right for the job and who's not right for the job. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those tech assessments we found are using, you know, they're very program programmatic, they're very programmer based assessments. So they're checking to see if someone's really good in Python or they're really good in R. Um, so, but, but in doing so, you're really determining, are they a good programmer? programmer. So they're, you're not necessarily checking the scientific side to see if they actually know what models they should be applying right. and which are the appropriate models. How do you actually validate that that model is appropriate under the circumstances and you're actually getting the results that you expect and, and need. And so for us, what we're doing is a much more comprehensive approach um, to that to that role, recognizing that it is a combination of, of different fields. So we're doing um, much more of a scientific approach on testing statistics, um, mathematics. We are testing programming, um, but we're also assessing on data wrangling, data exploration, including visualization. And then finally, of course, machine learning, deep learning, and really all the algorithms of machine learning and deep learning, and not just testing, can you actually write Python to do a machine learning model? We're actually really much more focused on do you understand the model that you're trying to apply? And, and, you know, we will check to see if they can program, but much more focused on, do you understand the concepts of being, you know, a data scientist and data engineer for that matter, you know, on the data wrangling side, you know, do you really understand how to bring large data sets together and how do you deal with outliers or missing data and, and then that type of thing. So we, we're taking a more, I think, comprehensive approach um, to that role. Okay. So help me understand how, Quant Hub came to recognize this problem and then how you sort of developed a solution to solve that problem of, you know, beyond just programmatic tech vetting of here's a test, see if you can program against it, but that more holistic view. Help me understand where that came from and, and how you guys developed that content. Sure. So um, when, whenever we were going through our recruiting, vetting, even the training process at StrategyWise, um, I was heavily involved in that. Um, and uh, found that there was a significant amount of time spent uh, going through the, I guess the, the all the steps necessary to to thoroughly vet someone, um, and then 
because we're, you know, strategy-wise at the time was a, a startup a consulting firm, it was, there was a lot of pull to, to take some shortcuts and go, you know, this person has a great resume or they just came from a, a wonderful company, a name brand company. And so let's just pull them in and, and use them. Well, we, we made a, a number of, of bad hires. <laughs> um, and so that woke us up to uh, needing to, to actually um, create a process, but one that, that was also uh, answering the, the question of how do we do this efficiently? Because um, we can't take all this time to, yeah, to, to spend vetting someone. Um, and through, through that, um, we started um, seeing the, some, some great results with, with our process, and then some of our clients started asking, hey, would, would you mind just sharing your process? And we're, we're going to build a data science team. And we thought, well, this, the, there might actually be a market for this. Excellent. <laughs> so, very cool. So it turns out there is. <laughs> <laughs> but see, one thing you mentioned, though, is that I think the reason there's a market for something in general is that it solves a problem. And the problem here, like the avoidance is, is hiring the wrong talent for the project. Like, and it's not that they're bad mm -hmm. talent. It may just be that they're the wrong skills. How costly is that really for an organization? Cause that feels like if that's, if it's really painful, then you got a great market. If it's, yeah, that's not yeah. that big a deal, then it's not a good market. <clears throat> yeah. Just in, in some, it, it varies pretty wildly across the country, just because the um, average salary varies quite a bit across the country. So in Silicon Valley, it's it's probably into the $200,000 range in terms of the cost of a bad hire. Um, nationally, the average comp the average compensation for a data scientist nationally is $140,000. And so if you do some calculations on productivity loss and and um, you know your backfilling costs and all that kind of thing, it's, it's easily into the six figures in terms of cost of making a bad hire higher. And so that's one, that's sort of one area where that's obviously pretty painful. And a lot of small companies, small organizations, that's catastrophic. Yeah, um, but even large organizations, a lot large consulting organizations, they just simply cannot afford these costs. And then on the tech vetting side, what we found, in fact, actually, um, at the conference where we met, um, I had someone from a company come up to me and say they spent an entire week in January. This was a data scientist, practicing data scientist, spent a week just interviewing. Um, doing tech interviews and they, they were they were like pleading please help me and and so just doing some calculations of that people or companies are spending about 15 grand um, internally on assessing mm. candidates for every single position they're hiring and so it just gets extremely expensive and you know when this is a scarce resource and it's really a strategic priority for companies you just can't afford to have a scarce resource internally on a strategic project pulled off to go do this. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I found interesting and in, in kind of looking into the, the, the platform and what you guys are doing is that not only are you taking a holistic view of the data science process and how you're vetting those skills, but you're actually using some machine learning tools to power some of this. So help me understand just a little bit without too much of the secret sauce, but like, <laughs> how are you guys applying machine learning and, and AI to actually making your platform better? Sure. So um, at a number of different levels. Uh, one is just on that front end. Um, your your um, what has been become or is becoming ubiquitous of uh, you know resume matching with a job description. So using some natural language processing uh, to to do that piece of it, and then moving into the the actual testing. Uh, 
platform, it, it takes kind of a Bayesian approach. It allows uh, candidates to self-assess, uses those as the priors, and then updates those based on the responses it receives. Okay. So the, the idea is just in the most efficient way uh, or the, the fastest route to get to a, a high level of confidence that they are actually at that level of skill. Excellent. So one thing you hit on there that I want to I want to dig in on is you said that this is QuantHub is more than just hey vet this 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 you know this resource for me. Mm-hmm. Help me understand what are the other ways that people are actually using this you know that what you have developed which is clearly capable of vetting people. But it sounds like there's more to it than just yeah. organizations using QuantHub to vet talent. Yeah, and I th- I, we want to be a strategic partner in in sort of the data science and data engineering mission. You know, we want to help companies build great teams. We don't, so we don't want to just do a transactional component of that and help you hire an individual. We want to help companies build great teams, and so to do so, it is about filling that team with great people. But it's also about leveling up the skill set of the people that are already in the company. In many cases, companies are having to actually promote from within to fill these roles because the people just aren't coming through the door. And and so there's there's a really a, a larger element here to actually building a great data science team than just hiring. Um, so to that end, what we are really an assessment platform at our core, and we're using those assessments both for hiring, which is sort of your natural use case, but we're also using those assessments to benchmark skills across the organization. And then what we found, and and really in talking to a lot of people out there, there are a ton of different training. Um, companies out there and there's really good training uh, with those with those companies but as someone is going into the field and they're saying how do I become a data scientist how do I become a data engineer it's overwhelming they don't actually know where to go which this is a typical evolution of when you get a lot of content then you know at the beginning it's easy to find it but you get a lot there's a wealth of content. Now you can't figure out where to go. And yeah. so then you have your aggregators come in. Yeah. And so we actually want to be more of an aggregator in that case and sort of a matchmaker. We want to do assessments to say, you know, let's actually benchmark your skills. Let's say you're a data analyst. You want to be a data engineer. We need to improve your wrangling skills. You need to improve your SQL skills. And so where do you go to do that? Well, you know, let's actually measure all the data engineers in that company. And so let's identify that gap. And so it is, in fact, wrangling. It is, in fact, SQL. And then let's actually align you with training opportunities. But let's make sure they're the right training opportunities through um, tagging of the skills that are that are actually uh, um, learned in those training opportunities. And then also have people rate them. So, you know, you're really getting to the right opportunities. And then we'll continue to do assessments along the way to measure and chart your progress. Wow, that's really cool. Because that's, yeah, my, my natural thought was, oh, great, I can use this to make sure I hire the right person. But this is much more than that. And that you can, as you know, somebody who wants to improve their skills, you might lobby to your organization that, hey, I want to be, I want QuantHub to come in and help me. Right. Because as you said, the number of classes that are available it's today unbelievable. Yeah. is stunning. It like, really I, is. I Half the time, I don't know where to tell people to start because it, like you said, it just depends. Like, what is it that you're trying to do? Yeah. And data science clearly is not a, it doesn't seem like data science really is a one person thing. It <laughs> seems like, <laughs> right. would you say it's a team sport? Is that <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. I would say, yeah. All right. Yeah, so, definitely. So what are the, what kind of, what is the future of um, QuantHub look like if, like, if you guys are really successful and you continue to grow, what does the future look like in terms of being that platform partner to an organization, like help me understand what that means, both from your side, but also from their experience perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll take this one. I, I, 
I think for us, we want to, when, you know, five years down the road for an organization um, that's really gone through that evolution and adoption of, of data science, data engineering, and has really built that advanced analytics team and has been successful in doing so, you know, we really want them to look back on that journey and say that we were one of the most instrumental partners in them making that happen. And that's kind of where I talk about, we don't want to be a transactional partner. We actually want to be embedded in there and help them deliver on their most strategic priorities, which in many of these organizations are around data science, data engineering, AI. And so that's, that's one thing. And one, um, what I think will happen over time as we do that, um, we're, you know, there's this term called the quant crunch, which is just, you know, really a reference to the great shortage Mm -hmm. of people that are in this field. And so what I really think we will be able to do is, is we will be able to help, um, the entire industry start alleviating that quant crunch by starting to, you know, really help people get into this field through what we just talked about, um, through aligning people with the right training, through going to universities and actually aligning those people with the right companies that are looking for someone with their skill set by doing assessments. You know, so if we're actually helping the company assess talent and we're going to the universities and we're assessing their talent, you know, there's just a natural match between the two. And then we're sort of matchmaker there as well. And so I, I think if we, um, if we execute, um, you know, on the, what I believe is great potential here, um, I think we can play a big role in that over time. It's funny. I just had this thought. We, we had a conversation last year with, uh, some really talented data science folks that talked about using data to find love in online dating. And it actually made me think of an analogy for you guys. Like if, Where, where's this going if here? A traditional job board. And I'm just trying to think about how I would classify you guys. Like <laughs> if a traditional job board, like people, like a data scientist going and applying for a job is like Tinder, like swiping, like you guys feel like the e-harmony of like job finding, like there's some <laughs> yeah. science behind it. Yeah, like you're yeah. actually matching people based on real experience. Okay. So you're like the e-harmony of exactly. data science job sites. <laughs> so that's now our unique value price, right? That's <laughs> right. One-liner. Our website's going to change right oh, after this. No royalties needed. Yeah, I like we're going to go e-harmony. <laughs> Tinder <laughs> might leave people with a bad taste. So yeah, we'll go with be, e-harmony. Well, he was like, <laughs> it's late left. <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry for that little tangent, but I think it is a, like, it is a unique thing thing because one of the things I'm curious about is, is today I'm guessing the way that companies engage you is through some sort of a contractual or a a licensing arrangement. But what does it look like for somebody who's not an organization who's maybe just a data scientist seeking to find employment? Are they able to use quant hub today or is that sort of a future capability? Yeah, that actually is a future capability. We have the um, we have the assessments done, but we're, what we're building out for those individuals to just come in on their own is we're actually not going to charge for that because mm-hmm. um, we think there's a lot of value in the overall marketplace by helping talent engage and get into this field. Yeah. And and so what we're building out is really that training side for individuals to come in. Um, so that'll be coming probably in the next quarter, okay. and is something that you know actually on our website you can um, you can go in there and say notify me when ready. Um, so that is on the website and that's definitely something that, um, that we think will play well. And, and a lot of individuals are interested in what we're doing in the meantime is we are running monthly skill competitions with a lot of our different assessments and giving away fun prizes. So people can follow us on Twitter and, and participate in our monthly challenges, which are just, you know, take a 25 minute test and see how you do. Nice. So if, if an organization wants to engage with you, what does that look like for you? Is it like, help me understand how 
you know, some uh, pick a big bank in town or a yeah. hospital system, or whatever in Birmingham, yeah. if they want to use Quant Hub, what is it like? How do they engage with you and how do they begin working with you? Yeah, the, the benefit of Quant Hub is that the complexity is all behind the scenes coming out of Nathan and others' brains of, of how you actually assess a data scientist, which is a little bit behind the scenes. So the interface is actually super straightforward. It takes five minutes to get up and running. So it's really just about a, a you know, a quick conversation so that we make sure we're aligning with where the company wants to go mm-hmm. back to being, you know, we want to be in this for the long haul and actually help them succeed. Um, so it's just a quick engagement. Let's talk about the challenges you have today. Let's actually talk about the roles you're trying to fill and specifically the skill sets because the name data scientist, as we talked about, means something different everywhere. Absolutely. So let's talk about the skill sets. If it's a data engineer, let's talk about the skill sets and then we'll basically help you get set up and then you're just off and running within five minutes. You're, you're sending out assessments to people. It's just you know, super straightforward. Yeah. So Nathan, this is, so clearly you guys are building a platform that's, that's, you know, great today, but the role of the data scientist is constantly changing. Sure. So I'm, I'm curious what, you know, to start, like, what do you think are some of the, the nearest term evolutions happening in the role of the data scientist? And then how is Quant Hub keeping up with it? Sure, uh, that, that that's a great question. When you mentioned the matchmaker uh, piece of it, that's one thing that I had in my mind is, you know, if someone's profile consistently changing to, okay, well, must like lo- long walks on the beach until you until you say, yes, I want to do that, and then it may have changed. Right, exactly. <laughs> so the, the, they, got, they were in a hurricane, so they no longer <laughs> like beaches. So the, the requirements are, are changing constantly. Uh, we we see with with the evolution of you know uh, statistical methodologies that requirements change because you you go okay um, people are not using the same statistical methods now that they they were you know even five years ago right um, and then uh, the, the same kind of thing and and highly related is the compute power um, changing the the landscape in terms of uh, you know how much do you actually need to design your algorithms versus how much do you just need to take latest cutting edge research and and apply them or be more of an engineer um so those for for us um it it involves it does involve a lot of staying up uh to speed staying on you know, cutting edge, but also practical um, in terms of what what's driving real value for for uh, different companies. Um, and then our, you know, we're we we believe that the only way that you can actually vet or know if a data scientist can do the job mm-hmm. is for them to actually do the job. Um, which would be ideal, right? right. <laughs> if you could try before you buy. Exactly. But uh, so the the next step back for us, the 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 next level is to create something that that directly mirrors that those job requirements. And so for us, it's it's taking that focus and then uh, keep keeping up with the the trends and, and shifts as, as they're, they're practical. Yeah. Cause there's, there's not only changes happening in the, in the math and in the model development, but there's changes happening, as you said, in the execution engines, right? The, in the clouds, in the cloud orchestrated environments, hardware innovations are actually becoming cool again, weirdly enough. Exactly. Like, that would be such a weird <laughs> right. thing in the land of software world. So how important is 
like this evolution of cloud computing or even some of the technologies that came from cloud and now people are adopting kind of en masse, think like Kubernetes, that kind of stuff. How important is that for a data scientist to really understand as they bridge the gap between theoretical and business application to actual implementation? Right. So uh, I think they're, the, they're highly critical mm -hmm. to some organizations right. okay. <laughs> and so and, that, and, and so we from the feedback that we've gotten uh on the platform it's it really shows that people's um it's not their only their definition of a data scientist but it's what they actually need where their organization is on their you know, data maturity or data science advanced analytics maturity um and so if you know, if someone has the ability to to use all these tools of uh, Kubernetes and Docker and spin up uh, some kind of Spark cluster, that may not solve the need of someone who just really needs a Power Excel user. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be data science, surprisingly exactly. enough, right? Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things I always want to encourage is, you know, I think all of us are, is this idea that data science, while it is a super cool, like, sounding title, it's one that's totally reasonable for people to do, I think, that if, if you pursue the right skills. So if you were, you know, if you're giving advice to either think, you know, young people out of college or even folks that are doing some analytical kind of roles, what, are, what's the, what advice would you give them in, our, in terms of where to go start thinking about building those skills that are most critical to becoming a data scientist? Sure. So, uh, you know, if you, if you um, do, do a Google search, a lot of the top uh, responses to that question would be, you know, go learn math, go learn computer science, mm -hmm. um, and, and then go apply that to to some domain. Uh, what what I've seen in uh, developing our team and then uh, working with the the content at Quant Hub um, is that the the shortest route seems to be a top down approach where you start with the problem at the realize that at the end of the day a data scientist is just a problem solver they're using they're just using data to solve that those problems starting with the problem starting with something uh, if if they have the uh, luxury of finding a problem that they just enjoy um, finding something and then just going out and learning the components that it takes to solve those as as they go I think for, for me, I have near college age kids, so I think about this a lot. <clears throat> and my kids both love math, okay. but have no interest in programming, okay. which what's interesting about this field, actually, back to what we were talking about when we defined it, is it's a lot different than software engineering field where you have to love programming yeah, to be absolutely. in the software engineering field for the most part. And, and I don't necessarily think that has to be the case in this field. I think you can love data, you can love math, statistics, and, and you could really excel in this field. You may not be... A machine learning engineer, but that doesn't mean you can't be a um, you know pretty good data scientist. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't, you might not get into the Kubernetes and the you know that side of the world and actually getting models to production. No. You're more a little bit on the theoretical side of analyzing data sets, analyzing business problems, and what models you should apply. And that's hugely valuable and, mm -hmm. and for sure needed. Actually, it could be the skill set that lives on the most out of this. You know, we talk about automating ourselves out of jobs that's going to be a skill set that's hard to automate. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a really good opportunity if you find yourself in, um, in that, in that kind of bucket of people that love math, love statistics, um, linear algebra, these types of things, but right. don't necessarily think you're going to love, um, hardcore programming. You don't want to go into computer science. 
that's fine. Go into, go into statistics, Mm -hmm. um, go into those types of fields and you can still make your way, um, absolutely make your way into data science and engineering type roles. Nice. So if somebody wanted to learn more about QuantHub or wanted to get started with you guys, what's the best place to go uh, get more information? Yeah, I think certainly quanthub.com um, gives a, a lot of information. We have a pretty active blog there. Um, we're relatively active on LinkedIn as well, content-wise and, and Twitter. So any of those any of those places. Or um, we're trying to make it to a lot of conferences around the country, which is how we met. So come up and come up and talk to us. We love, um, even if you don't necessarily have this problem, we love talking about, um, this field and, and the progression of this field and how people are building, um, great teams. Cause we're, you know, we love to learn. And so, um, you know, even if we're not working together, we just, we love to be in conversations around this. Very cool. Well, selfishly, I do want to, I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to have a startup company in Birmingham, Alabama, because <laughs> I, I constantly, like I travel a lot and I meet a lot of folks and they, you know, they don't immediately, when you, you say I'm from Birmingham, they go, yeah, you're from where, <laughs> but it really yeah. is an interesting town. So I'm curious what, what your perspective, and I'll start with you, Nathan, like what's, what's it like for you as a, as a data scientist and as a, a member of a startup organization, what's it like being in Birmingham and what, what do you think the best things about Birmingham are for exactly the kind of role you're in right now? Yeah. So, um, I, I think kind of the, uh, it's, it's the best, best and worst, uh, you know, um, you, you're kind of shielded from, from a lot of, um, direct competitors in the geographic space. Mm-hmm. And so you're not seeing things and going, Oh, sorry, they already did it. So we, we can't pursue that path. Um, on the other hand, you're, we're all always assuming, okay, we, we're, we're way behind Silicon Valley and then we'll go to these conferences and realize that they were, we're, we're actually, <laughs> we're, we're actually ahead. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. awesome. Um, and so, um, it, it kind of shields you and then creates kind of an urgency for, um, making sure you're keeping up with, with the rest of the, the nation. Very cool. What about you, Matt? Yeah, one of the things I've been in Birmingham for 13 years now, and I've worked in software the entire time. And in a previous company, um, you know, we grew it uh, really quickly. It was a SaaS company. We grew 10x our revenue, 10x over 10 years there that I was there. And so I've seen that in Birmingham, and I think Birmingham is a, is an awesome place to to grow a company. There, one of the things that I think is our best asset, personally is is the um, customer service centric kind of culture we have um, in the southeast and I, I really think that's an advantage if you choose to take advantage of it i think there are plenty of companies i, I love um, reading from jeff bezos and people like that that talk about a very customer centric um, philosophy culture organization mm-hmm. southwest chick-fil-a i mean there are a lot of organizations that talk about that and and i really do think that makes a difference and i think that's a little bit in our dna here mm-hmm. and so i i i fundamentally believe that um that makes a difference that will make a difference for us i think we are trying to be very hands-on with organizations um, that we're working with and that's why we want to try to be a part of um, their long-term solution not just not just transactional because i think that's just a little bit in our dna and i also think birmingham has a great startup ecosystem so um, since it's a little smaller you can actually um, more easily connect with people mm-hmm. and and have real personal relationships with people that are creating successful businesses and that are really struggling through the same things that you are, which I, I find that to be extremely valuable in a in a town um, this size. And then also access to capital. And believe it or not, there's actually capital in Birmingham, Alabama. We raised money in less than 30 days. We raised 1.25 million last July, and we did that in less than 30 days. 
And so, you know, I think that's not, that's not the norm. Um, you know, there are companies out there going, going on nine, 12 months, still looking for capital in places that are more crowded. Well, there's a lot of capital that's, you know, ready, ready to be put to work here in Birmingham and specifically for local startups. And so I think this is a fantastic place. Um, the cost of living's less here. So, you know, our, our labor costs are lower. So I just think this is a, a fantastic place with, you know, a highly virtual workforce and, you know, a lot of people able to work uh, remotely very effectively. I actually think this is a great place to be headquartered. So um, it's ideal for us. Excellent. Well, Matt and Nathan, it's been really fun to chat with you. I, yeah, absolutely. I am happy to have a company like Quant Hub starting up in Birmingham, Alabama. And I think it is really interesting how you guys have recognized that it, it, artificial intelligence, which is powered by our data scientists, requires human intelligence first, right? <laughs> and getting those intelligent humans in the right roles at the right time with, with the most efficiency feels like what Quant Hub's real value as organization. So I encourage our listeners to check out quanthub.com. And if you're somebody who's seeking to hire great talent, use Quanthub as a great tool in your tool chest for making that happen more rapidly. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. So Matt, I'm gonna start with you. What is the last great book that you read that you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah, a, a, um, a book I read, it's actually been about a year, um, but it was so awesome. I'll use this one. It's a book called Monetizing Innovation. Um, so I love, I love the product side of things, and it's, it's one of my favorite um, product kind of business strategy books that I've, that I've ever read. Um, that The uh, name make, makes it sound like it's all about making money, which, you know, at the end of the day, it, that's part of it. Um, but what it's much more about is actually how do you determine truly what the customer and the market wants and what they're willing to pay for, which is a, it's a tough, it, that's actually a, that sounds easy, but that's not easy. Most of you know. And so that's a fantastic book on that topic. I loved it. Excellent. Nathan, what about you? Uh, it's a book called Make It Stick by Peter C. Brown. Okay. Um, and it, and it goes through kind of how learn, learning approaches um, and different methodologies for um, you know, the most efficient way to learn um, it was highly impactful and the, the threads through what we do at Quant Hub as well. Nice. So make it stick. That's not made to stick. It's not made to stick. Okay, that's the And, yeah. and actually, <laughs> funny funny story about that one. Okay. Is the reason why I ever did uh, got make, make it stick uh, is because I was looking for the audio version of made to stick. Okay. And downloaded it by accident, started listening to it and went, this is not the book that I was. <laughs> so found by accident. Yeah. All right. Did I catch you're an audible guy? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm an audible maniac. I love that. Okay. I respect that. Okay. Nathan, if you were going to be walking on stage at a conference, what would your, or to, I don't know, play for the Birmingham Barons, what would your walk on song be? Oh, man. Um,. It would probably be a Queen song. Yes. Maybe Don't Stop Me Now. Oh, that's solid. <laughs> wow. Mercury lover. I like that. Yeah, I like beats. That's that way. Right, man, what about you? What's your walk-on uh, song? For me, I'm I love I'm a child of the eighties. I love eighties long hair. Hair band. Cheesy band. <laughs> but I'd say Welcome to the Jungle is, is one of my favorites. Good good choice. All right, Matt, what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Um 
Well, I would say my my phone's alarm clock. Um, I don't like waking up in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really any alarm clock in general. I think I don't think. Yeah, it's wrong, but... no, I think honestly, it's funny. Slack and um, and messaging type platforms are great, um, but if you're not careful, you, you can just be overwhelmed with a sea of notifications. So, notification as a sort of broad um, pattern in yeah. products is. Uh, it's a benefit, but it's also a huge, huge distraction. I totally agree. What about you? Uh, that, that's a good question. Maybe I was thinking PowerPoint at first, but I'm thinking maybe internet marketing. <laughs> 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 um, uh, just because, you know, especially at, at, uh, at Quant Hub, we're always trying to address what the actual practical problems are, but um, then you're faced with the with the hype oh, yeah. <laughs> hype the most dangerous people in business Goodness. marketers yeah. <laughs> all right That's so it. nathan what's your uh biggest personal money pit right now my biggest personal money pit mm-hmm. like do you have like an expensive hobby or oh, like something that you're you're investing in right now yeah great great question so i i um actually for for christmas just set up a, a karaoke um room inside of our house you did and not. so we're, we're poor we're putting more money into that than That's <laughs> anything awesome. right now i hope as a parent you soundproof that room yeah. <laughs> I, I can i know you can tell from my honey and sand voice that karaoke is some <laughs> solid stuff so I, I also i love karaoke i don't have one in my house but i had the chance to go to uh, japan last year and actually go to a proper karaoke bar in japan. and man i didn't realize how much fun that is like yes. it's a great fun if you got a good group of people that you get Definitely. along with. Karaoke's a blast. What about you, Matt? What, what's your money pit? Um, I would say probably um, music instruments is is a is a bit of a money pit for me. I I keep telling myself when I when I swap out a guitar for another guitar, I don't even play anymore. But I I just like end up buying more guitars for some reason that I feel like <laughs> it's going to make me play more. Yeah. But um, and then I tell myself that I'll sell this other one so that I could buy this one, and then I never get around to selling the other one. So then I just end up with some crazy amount of guitars for no apparent reason. They're an investment. Yeah, That's actually right. they are. It depends on what yeah. it is, which is part of my crazy logic is that a Les Paul, a Gibson Les Paul is actually an investment. Yeah. So I've kept it. Indeed. Good for you. All <laughs> right. So Matt, what uh, TV show or you know, Netflix series. Are you binging on these days? <laughs> this is a little embarrassing maybe, but, um, <laughs> oh. I love the, uh, I love the eighties as, as I mentioned. And so there's a, a, uh, series it, it's, it's awful. I'm not going to lie. It's called Cobra Kai. Oh, um, it yeah, actually is on it. YouTube, um, YouTube TV yeah. and it's a, it's a YouTube original and, um, and the acting on it is, is, is straight up atrocious. Um, but I can't help it. I love it. So, it's 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 actually Johnny and Daniel LaRusso yeah. um from from the Karate Kid and um and I love it. I love that. My I I will tell you spoiler you're not the first person to tell me this. <laughs> and so I haven't had a chance to watch it now, but it's my buddy good. Kai is going to be so glad. I literally started yesterday cuz oh, my really? cousin this weekend told me about it. So now I'm I'm on you're day hooked. 3 or day 2 or whatever. <laughs> Nathan, what about you? What shows are you watching? Oh man. Time? So uh, I usually spend most of my if I'm choosing it's watching tutorials, but uh if I 
uh, when I when my wife pulls me away from that, it's uh, she she has me watch Outlander, Outlander with her. Okay. Very cool. That's, I've heard that too. I heard that's good. All right, Nathan, are you going? What's the next like interesting trip or place you're going next, here, here soon? It sounds sounds like I might maybe going to Austin. <laughs> Matt just told me right before this, but <laughs> nice. Austin's a good no, town. Yeah, uh, great barbecue. We, Even from Birmingham, we're yeah, it's yeah. a beef town. That's right. More so pork <laughs> than pork and chicken. It's, yeah, that's good here. No, we're um, uh, my wife and I are planning on going uh visiting back to to japan we lived there for about seven years oh did you really yeah very cool love japan now in tokyo or outside of tokyo yeah we, we lived in we, we actually lived in seven different places while wow. we we're in japan you have um, add with places we do <laughs> <laughs> but uh the longest was in tokyo very cool what about you, Matt? Any cool yeah, trips? It's with uh, with college age kids. We're actually going to do for spring break. We're going to do a college tour. So we're going up to Michigan. Uh, I think we're going to go to Virginia and maybe Penn State. Very cool. So we're going to spend the entire time driving, which yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> the story of a dad. Yeah, I yeah, totally respect right. that. Well, guys, it has been awesome to hear how Quan Hub is solving some really unique challenges, connecting data science talent with the right jobs and those folks getting the right talent at the right time. And thank you for being here in Birmingham and joining us on the Big Data Beard podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us, Corey. We appreciate it. Join the Big Data Beard team at DataWorks Summit in Washington, D.C., May 20th through 23rd. And if you want 20% off your pass, use promo code BDBEARD19. Enter for your chance to win a free pass by mentioning the Big Data Beard on Twitter or LinkedIn and sharing a link to one of our shows. Full details on how to win the free pass are available in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.